Blog Talk Radio. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. can finally play the game. And he's going to go over 100 for the 13th consecutive game. Congratulations, Nick Is that a challenge? Miller, the shotgun, gets free on the air. Traxton Miller is loose. Spin Miller, headed for the end zone. Well played, sir. You're the real MVP. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm sorry, that always makes me giggle. Oh, welcome back to another edition here of the morning after. I am JQ, the Buckeye portion of this program. You have to uh, forgive me. I'm dealing with a, a head cold here, so I'm going to let Dylan do most of the work today. <laughs> and as always, I got my That's partner right. crime, the Georgia Bulldogs himself, uh, Mr. Dylan Short. How you doing, bro? That's me. I'm pretty fantastic today. Um, luckily, finally, there's one fan base who's having it a little bit worse than mine right now. We were just talking about it before the break, and I'm sure this is going to hit on your rant today. Uh, oh, I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. But before we get into that, uh, I think we need to, you know, as we normally do, let's let's start with college and hit uh, the Hazard Trophy recap. And I'm not really surprised, and I don't think you're probably super surprised that Derrick Henry won. But I am surprised at how close that Christian McCaffrey closed the vote. I don't know if you saw that uh, total at the end when it released to all the regions and what the, uh, the the actual total uh, votes were. But I think he only lost to Derrick Henry by a little less than 300 votes, which was shocking. And also, uh, when I saw that, it also said to me that, you know, these guys don't watch a lot of football, it doesn't seem like. Like, they get their highs <laughs> and stuff off of the websites. And then they took the three guys that had the, you know, that were on those websites and performed on – conference Saturday, and they made them the top three, and nobody else was even close. So I don't know if we need to redo um, how we vote for it, because it just looks like that, right? Like, you had the the list, and then you know, everybody watched the games on that Saturday, and they took the top three and said, let's just vote for them. So I'm not really surprised all that much, but I, I, I think I may want to, you know, tweak how we vote for the, uh, for the Heisman, but I doubt that that'll happen. Yeah, it doesn't really surprise me. Uh, it doesn't really surprise me that McCaffrey got that close. I mean, we talked about it last week. Anytime you break a record where the name in front of it is Herschel or Barry Sanders, then you know you're gonna be in the running. And it really kind of overshadowed a spectacular year that Deshaun Watson himself had. I mean, uh-huh. all around, all three candidates had incredible seasons. They're so good that Baker Mayfield was pushed into almost nothing. You know. Like I said last week, I can't complain. I wouldn't have complained had it been either one of them. I thought it was I thought it was a tight race. I thought really any of the top three deserved to win it. Yeah, I just didn't think it was going to get that tight. I guess when I saw it tight, maybe a 500 vote difference. But I mean that, that he must have really put on a strong show for the guys that you know that probably hadn't been watching all year. And they're like, oh my goodness, I've heard about this McCaffrey kid. But I guess he is really good. You know, it just kind of seemed like it had that feeling to it because. I was a little surprised that Reynolds didn't, wasn't even a finalist uh, as well. And, you know, sometimes you get that uh, career achievement award, so to speak, where it didn't always just on the season. But, I mean, when a man's accounted for 90-something touchdowns, I mean, I was shocked he wasn't in there. But I, I just looked at the top three and just like, okay, you know, I, I'm just going to go with the guys that performed today. But 
Um, you know, I won't quibble with that. Uh, I think Derrick Henry won uh, solely, and he should have won, but he's been doing this since week one, right, uh, where McCaffrey kind of jumped in towards the middle and got real hot. And, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I'm surprised Deshaun didn't get more love because he's been really doing this since week one. But, you know, when you are the bell count running back and you put up those stats at Alabama when Nick Saban, you're going to win. I just think it's going to be hard for anybody else to win. Yeah, I think it was really that consistency that really gave it to Henry. Not only that, but just the way he just consistently dominated. And that Alabama team, for the most part of this season, has been solely reliant on Derrick Henry. He's been basically their entire offense. Now, granted, McCaffrey's been the entire yardage for Stanford, but then again, Stanford also lost a couple games. And you just if you put them up head-to-head, purely rushing and purely for what they meant to their team, I think both of them meant team. I think there really wasn't much difference. I think it's more just the style and who Henry ran against defensively as opposed to who McCaffrey faced. Agreed. And that's why I thought part of it was why it was that close. I thought the McCaffrey would probably come in second because, I mean, it's somewhat like an MVP kind of vote. And so you've got the, probably the top three guys there uh, correctly. Um, but, again, I, I didn't think it would be that close also because you know how we are in the South and the East Coast. You know, we get that East Coast bias and we don't, you know, football. They play football. West of the Mississippi, get out of here. You know, so let's, let's I didn't see, think let's, it would let's not call it Right. Exactly. So I didn't know if he would get the amount of recognition and respect that he should have. But, you know, kudos to him. He's had a fantastic year. Like you said, when you can top anybody on that, you know, Mount Rushmore college football, you're going to get a lot of of consideration. Um, I don't even call it Mount Rushmore college football. I'll call it a Mount Rushmore football, period. That's true. Um, Yeah, granted, good point. Um, so the, we had the uh, All-American teams come out, and there's nothing really that, you know, that shocked me on there. Um, I just wanted to throw it out there in case there was something you wanted to discuss about it. I mean, when, you, when you're talking about the first and second team pulling from the best of the best across the country, I think you really get to a point where you're just splitting hairs, so to speak. You can make it a case for some of these guys on the second team to be number one and, and vice versa. But I, I can't really quibble with uh, – Anybody on the list? Is there anything you any glaring holes or missions you did you see from the first team to the third team? I will be honest with you, I didn't even look at it. I honestly <laughs> do not care about who makes All America. Um, it doesn't bother, and you know how bad that is because I look up everything. Um, and yeah. I really don't care who makes All America. I don't care who's All SEC. Blah 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 blah. It's all it's all popularity, and it's all it's all just base statage. It doesn't. It doesn't tell the story of really how good or how effective you were. I mean, that, that's just noise. I, I prefer to just watch them and see. Um, the secondary awards, to me, really are the ones that I like to watch, like the Maxwell, the Doak Walker, all of those. Those are those are the awards that I like to see better, the Remingtons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I, I hear you, but I think at some point you kind of know who's going to win it um, on those um, – so, I mean, I, I didn't risk that on here, uh, but did you want to talk about any of those in particular that stood out to you? I saw some of that on Saturday night when I was out in Charlotte for that debacle of a, of a Falcons-Panthers game. Um, were, there any that, uh, yeah, were, there, were, there, were there any that shocked you when you were watching that uh, presentation that you want to touch on? Or you just want to shocked me, although this is, this is one of the few times that a running back has won or that somebody has won a bunch of position awards for his position and also won the Heisman. That's a little fun fact. It usually doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Usually if somebody's going to win the Heisman, they give, like, the Doak Walker, they'll give it to the, the next 
running back instead of the Heisman winner. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and I think that just goes to to, to to his domination for for the for the most part. I mean, he's been, you know, in that early category we thought he would be in the race, and then he does nothing to disappoint. Um, and he's been doing this since week one, uh, and really with no tell off game. So, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that is something I did notice too as well. But you know, if, if anybody given the year that he's had, and just the way some people have come up and fallen off, <clears throat> looking at two for net. Um, so yeah. I, I think that's really where you get that that piece of it, and then you know with Ohio State basically game playing Ezekiel Elliott out of it. So um, I'm and not Nick surprised Chubb about that. Out. And Nick Chubb getting hurt, exactly. So I, I, I'm not super surprised about that. Um, we'll jump off that for a second. I'm going to throw it to you because, as our listeners now know, you are the Bulldog portion of the program. And uh, Mr. Eason has come out and said that he is going to stick with the Bulldogs after a little flirtation with the Gators. Uh, did you have any doubts that he was going to leave, and, and what did you take from his uh, from his conference today or yesterday? Uh, I I wasn't a hundred percent confident that he'd stay at Georgia. I had no fear that he would go to the Gators. Uh, there was really there's really no point to him going to the Gators. I mean, what's he going to do? He's going to pull Hudson Mason and sit three years behind Will Greer. I mean, he's going to get six games under his belt. Everybody, I mean, all you had to do was look at Greer's tape to know how good he is. They were basically the same type of quarterback coming out of high school, except Greer was, you know, a little bit more of a dual threat. Um, there were a few other teams I thought might be in contention. I thought he might, you know, kind of dance around and maybe go look at some of these other teams. Like, I thought Bama might play their way into a shot with him. Um, it did kind of impact Georgia's quarterback recruiting, though, because they did lose. I don't know if you even saw this. It kind of went under the radar. Bailey Hockman decommitted from Georgia. He hasn't committed anywhere else yet, but he was looking to come into Georgia next season, not this season with Eason, but the season afterwards. And he's from McEachern. Okay. I, I didn't see that one because, you know, um, whenever you start talking about Eason, he kind of just takes up all the oxygen in the room, right? And he's a, I think you told me this a couple of weeks ago. He's got a little prima donna in him, you know. He does. And I know you have to have uh, that to a certain extent to play quarterback at a high level. But, you know, do we need to have the press conference and the flirtation? It was kind of like, oh, look how important I am. Not you fire Rick. Let me, you know, look around and, and, and put everything on edge and make sure I stay in the cycle along with the Rick and Kirby spot story. So that piece of it concerns me a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, the guy you just talked about, I think he looked at the writing on the wall, right? He was a quarterback recruit. There's no way he's going to get a chance to see the field unless he switches positions. So I, I I'm just a quarterback recruit, number six in the nation. Yeah, well, what is Easton? Is he, like, number one at quarterback in the nation? Uh, number two or three, depending on which scouting service three. you're talking about. Number one, okay. pro style, but the other two are, uh, uh, I'm going to say Fromm, and there's another one who's debatable with Easton right now, but they're both more dual threat. Okay. And Alabama, so believe it or not, is in really high contention for Fromm. Yeah, and you like I said, you can't keep everybody. But if I'm that guy and I'm looking at all the stops that Georgia's gone through before Rick left, and then Kirby Smart went out there to reassure him, yeah, we still need you, we still want you to be our guy, I'm not surprised that somebody coming a year after him says, you know, the writing's on the wall there. And I, not only do I have to go and play well to win the job, I have to be markedly better than Eason because in a tie, Eason's going to win, right? He's already got a year under the belt. Exactly. So I have to all go in fanfare. and be – yeah, all the fanfare. I have to be – so much better than him as to not leave it be up to a point of debate. And that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself, even if you are going to go ball out. So I, I'm not necessarily, you know, mad at him for that. I just wonder how Kirby 
institutes this offense with him and what kind of wide receiver uh, recruits they go to bring in with him so they can kind of grow together. Um, but I think that's a big win for Georgia either way. More importantly, even than Easton in the long run, who is going to be a huge thing, uh, I think 1B to his 1A in this class, or even 1C, I can make an argument, Ben Cleveland, the offensive tackle, just a stellar offensive line recruit, the best offensive lineman in the nation. Uh, and Charlie Werner, nobody's really talked about him. He stayed under the radar. But this is a kid that's either, that can play tight end or receiver. He's a big guy, 6'5", about 235. Uh, runs quick, about a four five forty, I would guess. Great hands, runs great routes. And this, this is the guy that the Bulldogs really need for this class to get some receiver help. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things him and Jacob Eason have been really tight and have had their recruiting kind of tied in together. That's kind of the mm-hmm. big thing for me. Warner's dad also played at uh, Georgia. Yeah, that, that, that also helped. And, and like we always say, what does a young quarterback need better than more than anything else is a tight end over the middle that he trusts. So I'm 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 totally with you. Um, if you can bring them in together and, and let them grow, and they've been recruited together, I think that's kind of a bond that you can't replicate. But it also shows up on the field. You know, a lot of times you have roommates that are quarterback, wide receiver. They kind of just get in sync, um, and then that chemistry spills over to the field. And you know, that's what some of those things you can't coach. It just comes naturally by spending time with somebody and, and getting to be getting to know them. So that may be a a, a very positive there with uh, with with Easton and Georgia. So they're they're having. They're having a good couple of weeks for, for Georgia. As a Georgia fan, for a lot of you guys, I know, you're, you were glad to get rid of Rick. Uh, you, you kept your, your best QB prospect. You bring Curry Smart back home. So it's, it's, it's trending upward here. So I, I hope you're feeling better about, about the life with your Georgia Bulldogs. Until I see it on the field, <laughs> I'm not going to get overly enthused. <clears throat> to me, no matter, no matter which way Eason went, one recruit wasn't going to make or break the next two years. I mean, you saw it with Stafford, who was an all-world Uber recruit. I mean, his freshman year was not good at all. And mm-hmm. I expect Easton to struggle just as much. And really, it's going to come down to – I mean, Georgia's still going to be a running football team. That's what we're going to be and it's what we're going to do. I think that's why they got Jim Chaney out there from uh, from Pittsburgh. Uh, mm-hmm. who, anyone who doesn't know Jim Chaney uh, was kind of Drew Brees' quarterback guru, which was one of the big selling points for Easton. Uh, it's a really good fit. It's a really undervalued fit. It was really good, um, but it, it's all gonna it's all gonna depend on if Chubb comes back healthy and early. He still got that same burst. Right. See, I thought I was a, a half empty kind of guy. See, I'm trying to get a half full for you. And he's like, yeah, no, I'm touching on the field. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just staying Uh-oh. middle. I'm I'm a Georgia fan. I've been used to this. I've heard this all right, the time. I, I I've been you. playing this next year's our year card for 15 years. <laughs> I want to see Kirby actually coach before I crown him the next Bear Bryant. You know what I'm saying? It's just, you know, same with Falcons. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. You know, once you've had your heart broken and being, uh, you know, unrealistic expectations too high, have them come shattering back down, you kind of have to kind of temper it after that to make sure that you don't get too high because you get too high, that fall is that much harder. Um, so going from one person trending up to another person trending down. Cincinnati's on, yeah, I, I, I don't get this. Cincinnati's on Dolphins, Washington, who plays D-tackle for Ohio State, has been sitting for the Fiesta Bowl for solicitation. And the first thing that came Eugene to my Robinson. mind is, I, that's not, yeah, I thought it was the second one. Um, but being, you know, I'm a Cincinnati kid, so, again, of course, it made my, my head hang low. Like, why can't we never be 
in the news for anything positive. That's why we can't have nice things. Exactly. You know, my goodness. But you are a stud defensive tackle for, until somebody else gets crowned, the reigning defending national champs in Columbus. I mean, can you not get a tender profile? I mean, seriously? Solicitation? Do you even need that? Or you can just walk up to the club, I mean, hey, I play for Ohio State. What's your jersey on? What's your jersey exactly. on? That's all. That's all you need. I would just walk around campus. Do you play for the Buckeyes? Bring that big ring with you. Yeah, yeah, something, dude, something. I, I, That was the first thing that came to my mind. I know that's a very guy thing to say. But you are the, you know, you are not just a dude on the team. You're not somebody that sits on the bench to keep it from flying up. You are <laughs> starting defensive tackle for one of the best defenses in the nation and for one of the best teams in the nation. So I, I don't get it. A few million dollars, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're talking absolutely, about a guy who's going to be in the middle of the first-round pick. Yeah, and that's going to be the first thing they're going to talk about, him and um, Kadiche falling out of the hotel room and then they go up to the weeds in the room. Yeah, Kadiche, sorry. Jumping out of so, a window? Yeah, that's look here. That's some serious crime to make you jump out a window. That's all I'm going to say. I, 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 I'll leave it at that. I, I don't know what Not just a window, a four-story window. I mean, come on. <laughs> right. You are yeah, a 297-pound man. Are you that worried about somebody chasing you? Yeah, I, I, are you are you that high? That's what I was thinking from it. Like, you was real high to jump out that window, dude. That's crazy. Um, but the impact on the game, um, especially against that Notre Dame with a running quarterback and a good running game, period, that's huge for Ohio State because he's probably, probably their best defensive tackle. Um, and me and Todd were texting back and forth about it. I think they're going to probably have to move both to inside and then bring some of those young guys that started when he was suspended in that first couple of games and let them rush the edge and let both kind of try to fool inside that middle because they don't have anybody else that you can just plug and play and take Washington's space in there. And, you know, they have other guys they rotate in, but Washington was the stud that they rotated around, you know what I mean. The only thing that will help them out with that is Notre Dame doesn't have a power run game anymore, really, once pro sites have been banged up, once they lost um, their other back earlier in the year whose name is escaping me. Um, they're more of kind of an edge in the zone, so I, I don't think that'll make as big of a deal. Uh, it's definitely going to hurt, especially because Adolphus was fantastic at getting pressure up the middle, which just really messes with the quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks. So I think they're going to have to do mm-hmm. a few more stunts and a few more pinches and move Bosa all around the line. Yeah, and my only fear in that is when you – and I know you got a month to prepare for it, but when you start doing that and incorporating new things and you've got a mobile quarterback, and if everybody doesn't stay in their lane and you give him that opening, he's going to break out of there and he's going to take off. Exactly. And we've had trouble uh, against running quarterbacks, you know, even when we had everybody, but they were trending upward after that uh, that Michigan game. So I think everybody pretty much was in their roles and playing the way they needed to play for, like, the first time all year, really, for them as a collective unit. Uh, so having to deal with that, the only good thing about it is they have a month to, to figure out, to your point, uh, some new schemes to get in there. Um, but I, I, I can't talk about him anymore. Dude, get a Tinder profile. What is wrong with you? Cincinnati um, in general, Dalton, man. What's going on? I, I don't know because from one Cincinnati heartbreak to another, uh, Andy Dalton breaking his thumb, and I've heard reports it'll be four to six weeks, so I believe four weeks will put them right to the first week of the playoffs. But even outside of that, and everybody's saying, oh, my goodness, you know, and I love A.J. McCarron. I believe I told you this before that if they had a truly opened up the – competition in, in training camp between him and Andy. I think A.J. might have won it. Uh, so I'm not super – he has that moxie. He believes that 
he can come in and play. Uh, so I'm not super concerned about it, but I know you're a young quarterback. We just got to win one game to get to the playoffs. But for Andy, for me, it goes back to the bad Andy because everybody's talking about him breaking his thumb as a, as a fluke thing. If you watch the whole play, that was a ridiculous <laughs> shovel pass. I'm sorry. How many? How often do you see a shovel? And it was right to the lineman. I mean, I don't know what he was looking at. Yeah, you know what it looked like to me was that he saw the lineman there and he was trying to dump it into the ground, but he threw the laziest dump into the ground that he could throw. And to it was ready for it, and he reacted, and they were like, oh, my goodness, I don't believe that big guy was going to be able to interact to the ball that well. And then trying to tackle him, he made a bad decision. Breaking your thumb. Breaking the thumb. Right. So, you know, it's that, you know, microcosm of Andy of short-term dumb and then also long-term dumb wrapped in one play um, that that frustrates me. But, you know, you got a little bit of good and bad from AJ when he came in. He threw the pick six. He's a young quarterback. That's bound to happen. And then, but you saw First him off, before we even go farther, that was yeah. a stupid throw. He never should have tried to make that throw. McCarron's not no. known for his, his arm strength at all. And that is a – you have to have a Matt Stafford-type arm to fit it into that window from 53 yards away. Like, I mean, that is – or 53 feet. That is a long, long pass you yeah. have to do. Yeah, and he misread the coverage because he had, I think it's Jones, breaking behind him in that cover two kind of look. And he made a bad play. The receiver didn't come back to help him. But then, you know, he regroups and he throws the ball to A.J. Green. And that's the part I'm talking about. You know, a lot of other young quarterbacks are probably going to hung their head. You know, the, the sky is falling. I'm in over my head. I don't think that really happens for A.J. I think he is just one of those guys that believes he's just the best, period. And even if it's irrational, you kind of have to have that. Like we talked about with Easton, you kind of have to have that sort of prima donna kind of I'm the shit, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, thing going for you so that you go in, you shrug it off, and like have a quarterback. You know, you get Burke one play, you come back out, you get a pick. You got to have that short-term memory. So I, I think that helps him some, but for, for the love, I just I, – I don't know what Andy was thinking about on that shovel pass. Um, so You know AJ has my, to – you know AJ um, – sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but this is, this uh, is another wait. one of those facts that you wouldn't – you really wouldn't believe if you think about it. You realize that – A.J. McCarron is going for the first win for an Alabama quarterback since 1987, since Jeff Rutledge. Yeah, Rutledge. I read that. I, I, I read that. And, I, and all I could say that was Alabama. <laughs> I read that, and I had to look at it again. Like, that can't be true, given how the pedestal we put Alabama on, right, that they haven't had a quarterback win an NFL game since, what was it, you said 81? That just goes to show you how good Saban is. That's since '87. That just shows you how good of a coach Saban is. Yeah, that's crazy. Was that like Kenny Stabler or something crazy like that? Or Jeff Rutledge? Wow. Come on, Alabama. How many y'all get y'all quarterback game together? Um, so from my two heartbreaking stories to your heartbreak, I I don't know what to say. You know, I'm watching this Falcons game, and again, I was in Charlotte. I didn't go into the stadium. I tailgated and I went to a sports my uh, local because they wanted like $145 to sit at the top row of, of Bank of America Stadium. I said, no, thank you. Um, and I'm <laughs> glad I did. <laughs> because anybody shocked? I mean, I'm shocked at the, you know, at just the attitude down early. Yeah, I, I, yeah, the attitude on all phases of the game. And I'm sitting here trying to think to myself when, you know, when I wanted to talk to you about it, and I was like, I don't even know where I start at. Like, what is – if somebody said, hey, Dylan, 
I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, but not only for moving forward beyond the season, but this season. How do you stop the slide? What would be the first thing you would do? Because I don't even have a number one to, to, to fix this free fall. That's a hard question. Um, luckily, I told you, <laughs> and listeners, when I finally get to do my next mod for you guys, it will be well worth the wait. Uh, this Falcons team, I'm, there's there's just holes everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got Hagman needs to go. He's He's been a bust. Grady Jarrett, I've been pleasantly surprised. Grady Jarrett has played very well. I think he was the better player out of Clemson he drafted. you got to get a pass mm-hmm. rush. got to get some linemen so you can block. you got to get some receivers that can get open. I mean, really, you can't go wrong. Basically, anywhere you take your first-round pick, you're basically going to need that position. I mean, it is – it's just horrible. I mean, it's there's no depth and there's just no talent. Half of these starters are backups at best to begin with. And Babineau, bless his heart, the Falcons just ruined his prime years, and now they're getting him in a new system here at the end. And I think – I believe he's tied for the lead in sacks with three. <laughs> How bad yeah. is it when you say your team leader has three sacks? Yeah, that's uh, – yeah, that's pretty bad. And – I guess my answer to my own question is I don't think there really is a step one this year. I think oh, you need you everything. Do, you, yeah, you need everything. I think all you can do now is basically sit back and evaluate everybody and say who's going to be on this team next year and who's not. Because we can't stop this for this year. It's over. Uh, and we'll get to that here in a moment with the, the bigger NFL playoff picture. But I think you just evaluate evaluating guys for their jobs at this point. And they have really somebody. Yeah, and that's, you know, on – Schottenheimer bring him over from Washington. He's been nothing but a bust. Even when he can stay on the field, he's not been super. He's not been great. And you've been forced. How big of a douche do you have to be to get released from IR? Yeah, I mean you really yeah, exactly. have to be screwing something up to get released from injured reserve. That means you are just in the in the complex of Flyer Branch, just showing your whole entire you know what. Uh, exactly. There's nothing else. You know, you're not going to get treatment. You're not going to look at film. I mean, it's, and that's really indicative on the OC because he's supposed to know this system, right? He's supposed to be able to help spread the gospel. And not only is he not doing it, the offense just looks like they don't have a clue. Like you said, you got to release from IR. That's supposed to be a guaranteed check. Um, I don't know what, what else to say about that. They, they need somebody in the building who they bring in that does nothing but evaluate offensive and defensive linemen, and you go through this class, and you tell me who they are and break them down, and then we try to get as many of them as we can, whether it's trading somebody on our team, moving back so people can move up so you can acquire more picks. That's where they need to be, in the trenches. But I don't know if they have anybody in the building who is a good evaluator of offensive and defensive linemen. It just doesn't seem that way because they don't have anything. Your point is spot on. All they have is a bunch of backups, and that's great for rotation, but at some point you've got to have some studs. You know, on the offense at the defensive end, at defensive tackle, at offensive guard, offensive tackle. You have to have somebody, and they don't have Enter. any of that. Most so that's the number one. I mean, it's just honestly pathetic. And for some reason, I sat there and watched the entire game because that's just me. And if it's football, I'm going to watch. But <laughs> at no point, at no point was I surprised at all. You really got nothing you can hang your hat on. I mean, you've got you've got Desmond Trufant. You hope Matt Ryan is better in a better system. I think he will be. I think it's just a fit. Um, I do think he's going to start hitting his downturn, but I don't think he's this bad. Um, you hope Devontae is an answer. And you've got Julio. And you hope Jake Matthews with a better line can be an answer. But that's, that's all you've got. I mean, 
There is no talent in this roster. And I would argue them and maybe San Francisco are the two least talented rosters in the NFL right now. And I, and I think I may throw San Diego in there as well because they're also a dumpster fire. Uh, yeah, but and we talked about it before, you know, I nodded about the picks giving up for Julio. I think the biggest thing really for them is that they just they don't have it in the trenches. And I no. just don't I, don't, I don't think you have any, you know, faith in who's in the building now. And I don't either for anybody that knows what they're doing when it comes to evaluating offensive and defensive alignment. I just don't think they have it. I really don't. They've shown me that they don't. I mean, you haven't draft, you've drafted one starting lineman in the past four drafts. I mean, that says it all. You can't win if you don't win the trench war. I mean, it's the oldest thing there is. If you don't win in the trenches, you can't win the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I think we can just take this conversation and then we just use it for like the last three weeks. <laughs> so we put the Falcons on there just, just press play uh, because it's, it, it, it's Groundhog's Day. I'm just waiting on Bill Murray to show up. It, 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 there's nothing else you can really say about it. Um, it, it, it sucks. Okay, we're going to come off the Falcons. But with the Falcons doing what they have been doing, segue, it has helped shape the NFC and, uh, playoff picture, and I think the AFC is pretty much there. Um, and I'm not super surprised. Uh, you know, you, I, you kind of figured that Seattle would figure it out, and Green Bay's too talented uh, not to figure it out. Minnesota, I think some of us thought was going to be a dark horse playoff team, and they moved up in the, into that position, especially with Atlanta falling out. Tampa tried to hang in there, um, but you know they're young too, and I, that's inexplicable how Winston don't beat New Orleans and Tampa Bay. But either way it goes. Um, so you got you know Carolina undefeated. You got Arizona sitting there behind them, and then uh, Green Bay, and then whoever wins the NFC least, my goodness, they're going to get a playoff game too at home. Um, I don't, I don't think there's anything. Really, more to report outside the NFC, except for the fact that you want to get a buy because nobody wants to see Seattle in that first round. I think it's going to work out with, yeah, Carolina's already going to get it, and I think Arizona. You you better make sure you get the second one because just depending on what happens with the Green Bay Minnesota situation, if they flip flop, you don't want Green Bay and Seattle coming into your building as wild card teams. Um, and Seattle's going to probably get that fifth seed and go into the NFC lease. Whoever is probably going to be the Giants or the Redskins. Um, and go on the road and be a favorite. Uh, so that would be my what I look at from when I look at the NFC. Is there anything else that you that you see that kind of piques your interest? I think it's a two team race. I think it's Carolina and I think it's Arizona. I think Arizona is a remarkably complete team. I think the turnaround they've had with Chris Johnson has been remarkable. Him picking him up, they just picked players off the scrap heap. The blueprint mm-hmm. within Carolina has been the same with their acquisitions. They've taken people that other people didn't want found a role that fits those players perfectly, and they've just gone out and just been on a roll, seems week in and week out, seems they're always firing. And the rookie for Arizona, David Johnson, I mean, yeah. two starts, 95 yards and 100 yards. I mean, they've got yeah. three backs right now in Arizona that have done phenomenal work for them. And that starts with their line, and it starts with a veteran quarterback who knows what to do in Carson Palmer. Absolutely. And I would throw, I would throw Seattle into that as, as – three teams that we looked at realistically all phases of the game, offense, defense, special teams that can come out of the NFC because I think Seattle was banged up early. Earl Thomas was, was hurt. Uh, Cam Benson was holding out. Yeah, Richard Sharman, yeah, Richard Sharman was also hurt. But if you've been watching them, they've been really running in the farm and they've been kind of giving it to people. So, like I said, you don't really want them to come to your town as a wild card because they have that, that championship experience. Um, and to the AFC, uh, I – 
I think New England getting Gronk back and him not being as hurt as we thought he was going to be, and I hear the element looks really good at practice today, are the biggest beneficiaries of Andy Dalton and Peyton Manning because they're going to get the one seed. And that two seed is probably going to come down and since that goes to Denver, not just Sunday, but uh, for the following Monday night. Um, and then we, we pretty much just have Kansas City, New York, and Pittsburgh looking for the wild cards. And I think if they all went out, Pittsburgh would push New York out due to some tiebreakers. And I think everybody in the AFC is hoping for Pittsburgh loss for New York and Kansas City to get in. Not that New York and Kansas City are pushovers, but that Pittsburgh offense is, is dangerous. And I don't really think Pittsburgh that's another one of yeah, go ahead. Roethlisberger's finally healthy, and they are firing on all cylinders. Their defense has come out, and looks like the Steelers' defense of old. They're actually playing now. They're getting some edge rush. They're secondary. Now that they finally put Boykin in there, they're finally starting to play in the secondary a little bit. That's a team in the AFC that I think would be my dark horse. I do not want to have to play Pittsburgh. Yeah, and again, we talked about that in the summer. What is going on? You trade for Boykin, and we talked about it. You get Boykin for a steal from Philadelphia, and it takes – yeah, and it takes a total debacle uh, in Seattle for Mike Tomlin to say, okay, you know what, this working guy, let's play him. I, you know, I, I really would wonder what's happening in the locker room. And it doesn't take 13 weeks to, to understand a defensive scheme in, 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 in the slot when you're going to be the slot corner. Hey, he's you know smaller than usual for a Pittsburgh corner. And sometimes coaches are just that stubborn. They see a player and think, oh, well, he doesn't fit what I want until you finally play him. And that's that's the same thing Boykin struggled with in Philly because he wanted to start on the outside, uh, but nobody will give him any starting time because he's too small. Uh, I guess they forget Brent Grimes has been a pro bowl over the past two seasons. But, right. you know, it's it's just one of those things. Coaches are coaches have big egos. So they're going to stick with as long as they're winning or as long as they're competitive, they're not going to change very often. But now that they finally bit the bullet and changed a little bit, that team is a scary, scary team. They are, and D'Angelo Williams has really picked up the slack uh, for Le'Veon Bell. But back to that point, if if all I'm saying is that you're not going to be on the outside, but you know what, when they go to three wide, you're going to be in the slot. You know that guy in front of you in the slot? You cover him. It should just be that simple. And, I mean, because the Pittsburgh exactly. secondary was getting roasted. They were getting roasted in the beginning of the year. So Every it's week. to your point of, yeah, yeah. until the past couple of weeks when they inserted the point in. Um Outside of that, um, you know, I think everybody else is looking, kind of looking at chops, you know, with Brock Osweiler and Payne situation and then the A.J. Andy situation with two teams that I think were going to be counting on to do more. But now they got back on quarterbacks, it's kind of dicey. Uh, so I, I, I think we can leave that at this point. I think we, you know, just kind of have to play out now for seeding. I think we know who's going to be in. Uh, so me and Dylan are having probably the roughest, end of a regular baseball season to the all-winter meetings hot stove of any two franchises, given that we are Reds and Braves fans, respectively. Um, we just got the word today that, uh, you know, the Reds have traded Todd Frazier for a bag of Skittles and a, uh, <laughs> and a, and a, and a Twix bar. And, you know, and they're, and they're also talking about trading uh, Brandon Phillips, the re- reuniting with Dusty Becker in Washington. I don't, I don't know how much more I can take of this. You know, if, if I felt like we were getting, you know, a Swanson, a number one pick from this year's draft, I could somewhat stomach it. But we're getting prospects that are just being recycled. Um, nothing you can hang your hat on. So you got Joey Votto in the pits. Basically, at this point, is what it's going to look like because they're going to get rid of Chapman at some point. And whenever those higher-tier operators come off the market behind Hayward, your uh, Cespedes, your Alex Gordon, 
then you may get a taker for Jay Bruce and probably not before then. So it's going to be rough. And then come down 75 here uh, to Atlanta, and you got Freddie Freeman uh, and the Miracles. <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't know what else to say about what's happening with our with our baseball team, man. Yeah, I think that's why we hit it off so well. I mean, we're both stuck in these ruts of our towns just suck completely at every sport. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, they they just got Enciarte, and a day later they're floating him in, in trades. And there's a bunch of teams looking in on him. Um, the Cubs actually are looking in. So I'm hoping, I'm crossing my fingers that they'll be smart and get Solaire. I'm still holding out hope that they might just pony up and get Gordon, but the Braves look like they're going to be cheap again, and I I can't say with any with any confidence that that's going to happen. It looks like the Cardinals are going to be the smart team as usual and get him. And it, uh-huh. you know, there's not as much parity anymore in baseball. You can look at the teams that are run well, and I don't know why more teams don't copy them because they run their organizations the same way every single year, and they're uh-huh. consistently great teams every single year. You you figure it's like the anti football. Everybody sticks with exactly what they're doing, even if it doesn't work. It's like the Reds and the Braves, they've been doing the same sell off thing for the last two, three seasons, and each year it hasn't worked. They've watched the Marlins do horribly, have a good season, sell everybody they have and start over every single year. And regardless of the talent you're getting, if you don't keep that talent and you don't gel, you can't do anything anyway. Baseball's not the same as football. You can't just plug and play. There has to be a chemistry. Yeah, and you can, and it shows up, right? Like when the Giants were winning, coming on those runs, and the Cardinals with the Royals, you can tell that's a clubhouse that is together. With the Red Sox, you know, that they have a chemistry together, and it, and it shows up. And you may not need me necessarily when you're batting, but we're in the field, and it's just the intangibles that you know I'm going to put it all on the line for these other 24 guys. And you know, I I, I don't get it. Uh, at some point, you have to have some guys, some dudes. And you, you and you keep trying to wait on prospects, which you know what? One out of every three maybe pan out. It may maybe be generous. Oh, uh, so you're much less off, than that. So yeah, you're selling off. I was trying to you know half half full. Uh, <laughs> you, you you're selling off known quantities for these question marks that are being traded around. Uh, you know, like like future securities in the stock market. You don't know how they're gonna how they're gonna turn out, and yet you want people to come. You know, pay these ridiculous prices to come to the ballpark. Or in Atlanta's case these new PSLs for this new stadium. And it's got to be more than Freddie Freeman and Joey Votto. I mean, I feel for those two guys. Those are two talented first basemen that are watching their team being disintegrated around them, and they have no, any power to do anything to stop it. Um, so uh, before I start crying, uh, and then we get <laughs> Hayward going to the Cubs, um, and that's just making them stronger. Theo Epstein is just showing you how you do it, how it's done. Uh I, I, yeah, I your division is gone for the next, like, five, six years. Yeah, we're done. And what you're doing is I don't see any of these moves making you put you any better before those years. So well, how do you get people to come out to the stadium? You better give away a whole load, a shitload of bobbleheads. Uh, 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 I know um, – I, I saw yeah, that. Yeah, jerseys. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be – they got to be signed. Signed jerseys. And now we're heading to the next – I, I, I had to because it was so ridiculous. Was it 15 seconds? Um, aggressive 13. And, you know, I guess I'll go ahead and take the floor seconds. here. Let me own up at least. Yep. All right. Well, so that's one prediction that I got massively wrong. McGregor <laughs> came out and landed a perfect 
counter left, right to the bridge of Aldo's nose, flash knockout. And I will say it's a flash knockout. That is that's the definition. Aldo comes rushing forward like an idiot, which is not his style ever, 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 ever. And I watched that, and as soon as he started going forward, in my head, I got these warning lights going, no, 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 no. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it. Pasted on the button for the first knockout loss of his career. So congratulations, Conor McGregor. You're still a douche, but now you're the champion. Uh, now yeah, now we're going to see if Dana will put his money where his mouth is because he already gave Ronda an instant rematch. So if he doesn't give one to Jose Aldo, then I'll be raising even more cane than usual because Aldo was your longest reigning champion. He's been your only featherweight champion. And, you know, you gave Ronda a rematch after she'd had six or seven fights. Aldo has had an unbeaten record for, like, the last decade. No, absolutely agree. And I, and I read all those things, and I think Jones also tweeted the same thing, to your point about uh, about Ronda getting an instant rematch in the same thing she go for Aldo. And, and, and I agree, and he's going to have to, you know, I think he let McGregor get in his head because what you said, uncharacteristically, and if, if you watch some of those press conferences, like I saw one where they had all, I think, all the fighters there talking, and McGregor talked stuff about the whole, everybody else's division, everybody that was sitting on the panel. I mean, I think he just, he gets under their skin, and he gets in their head. And he's winning mentally before he even wins physically. And they've got to they got to find a way to combat that to say, hey, you know, we're not going to let that happen, uh, and fight their own fight. Um, but I agree. You want to know what really makes me mad about that, though? Go for it. Yeah. What really makes me mad, and everybody, you know, has to talk about it and all this good stuff. If Aldo had just fought his right game plan, he would have won that fight. Even getting knocked out, he landed that blow, and McGregor's out six months now. Mm-hmm. If you would have just yeah. fought. An actual fight, like you normally do, let the opponent run forward and then you counter him, you'd still be champ, and I wouldn't look like an idiot today. <laughs> I didn't like even want to text you when that happened. Yeah, I, I, I tried to let it simmer. When I saw that, I was like, oh, I know, I, I know one guy that is not happy. But I don't want to poke the bear. I don't want to poke the bear. I was screaming. Uh, People in the bar looking at me sideways. The greater <laughs> fans are starting to cheer, and I'm, I'm screaming – Starting looking like I'm going to try to start something, and before I had to calm down a second. <laughs> well, I think we kind of gotten both of our rants in in the course of <laughs> what we talked about, and I don't want us to get cut off by the lady because she's unpredictable, uh, and, and she might cut us off at any point. So I would like to say, everybody, thank you for for tuning in, downloading the podcast, uh, send us any suggestions that you may have, or you know, call in and what's a good night. Um, we're going to try to do this again, I believe, uh, next Wednesday before Christmas. Uh, and then I, I'm probably going to let my, uh, Dylan go ahead and do his draft uh, because I think we're going to know, we, we pretty much know where the Falcons are going to end up at. Oh, uh, so early Christmas that, present that. for me. There you go. We're going to go ahead and take that care of that because I'm interested to get on side the analytical mind of Dylan and what he's put together for the Falcons as well. Always good talking to you, bro. Um, text me all that good stuff. And we got a superstar as well. He was on the air again this morning on the front row. So tune in to the front row. You never know. You might hear Dylan on the radio on uh, Succeeded as a Fan. Good luck to you, bro. Uh, I will be in touch with you, and I will talk to you, if not before then, on Wednesday. Appreciate it, sir. Have a great Christmas. We'll we'll be texting all the way through it. And people, make sure you tune in next week because I will let you know this mock will have at least one player you will not be expecting.
Uh-oh. I, I, I love the tease. That's a full seven-day tease right there. you got to come back and get that, good people. Well, Getting out of my hands. <laughs> there it is. That's how you do it. They call that a tease in the business. <laughs> I appreciate you, Dylan, man. Um, thank you, everybody, for bearing with me for my head cold. I know I sound congested. Uh, see you next week, man. All right. Have a good one, buddy. Good night, all. All right, buddy. You too.